Welcome to Media in Minutes. This is your host, Angela Toole. This podcast features in-depth interviews with those who report on the world around us. They share everything from their favorite stories to what happened behind the lens and give us a glimpse into their world. From our studio here at Communications Redefined, this is Media in Minutes. Today, we are talking with Brian Wally, the Digital Editorial Director for Smithsonian Magazine, the official journal published by the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C. Hi, Brian. Welcome. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yes, I have to say I love the new layout of the website. Thank you. Yes, it was a long time in the the works, um, but it's so nice to get it up and live. Um, We last redesigned the site about eight years ago, uh, and so it it was just, it's so great to see a new look, a new fresh a- approach to the, how we display our, our, our amazing journalism. So it's been, uh, it's been a long time coming, but we're really happy we're there. Yeah. And I know the amount of work that goes into making that happen. So it's always a good feeling. I would love to talk about what your job entails as a digital editorial director of Smithsonian. Well, so a lot of meetings uh, nowadays, but that's, uh, that, that, that's seemingly the case with so many of us, especially now that Zoom somehow allows us to have more meetings. Um, right. the, um, but really, it's I am sort of in charge of a team of editors who all of whom are working to create what you see on the Smithsonian Magazine website. Okay. And so we have editors devoted to history, science, uh, travel and innovation, as well as one devoted to our coverage of the Smithsonian Institution itself. And so I, we meet daily with that team and we talk about, you know, what are we going to cover today? What are the big news and what what um, are more long term features that we uh, are thinking about and that we're publishing that week? And we also try and think, you know, I sort of organize brainstorming sessions where we talk about, hey, here are the movies coming out over the course of the next three months. Um, Here are the holidays. Here are the exhibits that are opening, um, the events that the anniversaries we want to make sure that we're aware of. And we talk through, and as a team, we talk about, you know, toss out all sorts of ideas. There are no bad ideas in brainstorming. Mm-hmm. And so on the one side, I'm thinking through the content of what we're doing. As part of my role, I'm also thinking through um, bigger picture strategies of how we collaborate with our colleagues in the Smithsonian, how we collaborate with our colleagues in other parts of the revenue generating parts of the Smithsonian. So that includes our store, um, our licensing group, our uh, travel group. And so it's a number of thinking of coordinating that ways and also thinking through new programs that we're doing. We, we've, during the pandemic, we launched a virtual live event series. Uh-huh. Um, and so I'm working with the team there to think through, you know, what, what, are we, what do we need to get this one up and what do we need to do for our next few? Um, so it's just a lot of coordinating and a lot of ideating and strategizing. Yeah. And you mentioned a lot of broad areas, you know, the science and the culture and the history. How do you decide? And those are such broad topics. How do you decide what to cover and what not to cover in those areas? It's really challenging uh, because there are so many amazing things and interesting things happening in the world. Um, We, you know, we talk about putting a Smithsonian lens on the world. And what does that mean? It means thinking about the, the two things that we don't do that maybe some of our competitors cover are celebrity news and politics. 
Okay, right. uh, at least like current politics and that's right. fine by me um, <laughs> right right, uh, it's right now especially right <laughs> yeah exactly um you know we cover the history of politics or the history of celebrity um but not the actual uh news that you see now i mean other sites you know get get tons of traffic off that stuff uh but that's fortunately not a game we need to play so one of the other things we talk about is if the smithsonian museums had endless space what would they cover uh, what would they include? What would they exhibit? And that's sort of how we think about our charge. Um, unfortunately, that also means that there's so much that we can't cover. So how do we make, how do, your question is, how do we make those calls? We look for things that are new, things that are novel. You know, what can we say here that that's actually new, that's actually cool? Um, are there superlatives that we could put in there that this is this is believed to be the oldest ever or the first or the largest what's something that we could put in a headline and we often think about our headlines when we're commissioning you know, what, what, what would a headline this piece and what would how would i how would i visualize this story what's the lead image um with so many publishers and ourselves included come with traffic coming from facebook we need to think through like what is that image that's going to show up on that facebook card that shows up when you share an article it needs to be something captivating. So if we're talking about an old historical object, it's probably not going to be that visually appealing. Yeah. So we have to think through, you know, can the headline sell it instead? If it's about an art exhibit, are the visuals something that's going to convey well online? That's a big part of it too. It's so much more than when we were just writing print articles for a magazine. That's right. Well, I mean, well, well, yeah, I mean, our magazine editors too, you know, they're all, you know, they're, perhaps even more reliant on, on visuals because they right. um, they have award-winning phot- photographers out in the field and often a, a, a genius creative photographer can think of a way to, to make an old art, an old dinosaur bone sure, look cool, sure. right? But for us, you know, we're working on a faster turnaround. We don't, we're not sending people out in the field. And so we have to think through, you know, we might often be working with press photography. And so we want to make sure that we're able to have something that that will really be a good hook. So working in the online digital space, you know, you're dealing with an ever-changing medium. How mm-hmm. do you stay on top of it all and keep up with what readers want and with the, the medium that's changing? We use some analytic tools. Uh, Parsley is a really great uh, tool that we've been using uh, okay. that helps track, you know, what are our most popular stories. And we, you know, look at long-term trends and see what stories are popping. Um, we have some stories that are seasonal that, you know, I'm sure by the time this goes up, these our history of the Salem witch trials will be among the most popular Ooh, stories on our good. site. Every, every October it's back up there. <laughs> um, but so we think through, you know, does this story have a long tail? You know, could this be something that's going to be interesting to people uh, in six months and six years? Uh, it's not a high priority, but it is something we think about, especially as we headline a story. Yeah. Um, but in terms of how do we keep, yeah, so how do we keep track of what our readers are interested in? Um, that's, the analytics is a good tool, but also we also need to lead our readers to the things that they might find interesting, mm-hmm. um, to lead them to stories about indigenous populations or to stories of undercover groups and underrepresented minorities. Um, so it's not just, you know, what are they giving them what they want, but it's thinking about, you know, what are the ways in which we can take their love of archaeology, but give them some history that they may not have heard before and about a, or about a community that 
they may not read that much about otherwise. Yeah. And that's why your stories are so fascinating. What you said um, kind of is an answer to this question, but I was going to ask if you have, have advice for PR professionals in getting stories in front of you. And I would assume a lot of it is giving you those things that you said you look for, but um, you know how we can help you do your job and not be that annoying person whose emails you delete without even reading them. Um, I get a lot of those. Um, <laughs> I'm sure. You know, I think it's, I tell writers this often when they're pitching me stories is keep it short. Like I don't have time to read a 300, 400 word pitch when the story itself is only going to be 1200, 1500 words. The, you know, a good way is for, is for just to be a pretty short, like if I want to learn more, I'll be like, Hey, this sounds interesting. Tell me more, you know, give, give me just a little taste. They're like, Hey, we're doing this thing. Uh, we have this artifact. Um, you know, I know this is impossible for most PR professionals, but personalized email, you know, that's not, you know, one that, that's clearly sent out to a yeah. bunch of reporters is helpful, but that's hard to do and not realistic. But to me that, you know, I know you have sent me emails that, you know, based on our work, the way we've worked together is like a, Hey, I've got this thing. Is this something that would interest you? And it's pretty conversational, pretty short. And that's a big help. And if I want more, I'll reach out for more. Right. And if you don't answer, should we follow up once or should we know that you've probably read it and you're not interested? I would say follow up once. Okay. So did you always want to be a journalist? Uh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I always was interested in it. Did that in college. Um, worked at the news hour, uh, PPS news hour. Yeah, that's um, exciting. That was fun. I mean, it was the early days of, I mean, not the, not the early, early days, but the early days <laughs> right. of online journalism in the mid 2005, 2006. Yeah. Um, and then I sort of went and saw an exhibit at the New York Historical Society uh, that really was like, gave me like a wow moment of, oh my God, like museums are, I always love museums. I grew up in the DC area, went to Smithsonian Museums. Right. Uh, my mom had been a docent at the Air and Space Museum. Yeah. So I was always interested in it. And I was sort of looking for a job that sort of balanced those two interests. And there was no better place for that than Smithsonian. So I was lucky enough to get hired here uh, 13 years ago and I've been here ever since. It's, yeah, so I would say history has always been a passion of mine um, and journalism is a part of that too. Yeah, that's incredible 13 years, you know, to stay at one media outlet. What keeps you excited about the job? I think it's that we learn, I learn something new every day. Um, it's yeah. like, we're there, there's not a, I mean, it is sort of weird that when I, I had been planning coverage for like the 40th anniversary of the moon landing. And then I was planning coverage for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. Like there's a little <laughs> bit of weirdness going on there. Right. Uh, I'm now around for like the next round of anniversaries. <laughs> but what's cool is, is that I'm, yeah, I am. There is something new every day. And I really love stories that are that intersection of our various verticals, just like the Smithsonian has an art museum, has a history museum, has many art museums, has many history museums, has science museums, has a design museum, um, has a center for world culture and, and folk, uh, folk life, a center for education. Like we, we find our, our site works best, I think, when we, when we combine those disciplines together. And so when we have a story that can be interesting to a history buff and a science geek, an art lover and a history buff, uh, a world traveler and a tech wizard kind of thing. Like yeah. those stories that come that that don't just live in one vertical on our site, but live in multiple verticals. 
for me, that's the most exciting part. And um, it's the kind of stories that I, I love for us to do. Do you work with the print magazine team often? I do. You know, I work with them closely to how we how we present their the print stories online, and then when they're when they're sort of in the planning stages of, of features, I talk with them. They you know they, they definitely have their own decision making process, editorial process of how they decide to put stories up. But I do uh, connect with them in our approach to how we talk about certain topics. And you've mentioned you're especially fascinated by how journalists and editors can work with educational institutions like museums to tell great stories and inform their visitors and readers. What are some great examples of this? Well, so I think that one of the things museums, museums have cool stuff and they know they have cool stuff, but they don't necessarily have the audience, have the online presence to be able to bring readers to those stories. Yeah. And so I think that there's often a, you know, museums, also our storytellers when they have an exhibit, whether it's online or in person. Um, but people consume content a different way online. They're either on their phones or they're looking for um, sort of more of a, a shorter form narrative. And so I think that museums uh, and educational institutions can reach out to journalists and say, hey, I've got, you know, we've got this, um, although not other journalistic organizations, only Smithsonian Magazine. Because uh, I don't want them, you know, <laughs> right. taking their great ideas elsewhere. But like, <laughs> so one example is that you know, uh, educational institution can have, say, they're a presidential historical site or um, a famous author historical site or something, where like they wrote this letter about the influenza pandemic in 1918. We think it's really interesting. Present and, and it's present that thing. Think of their think of themselves as news or as you know, looking at those anniversaries, looking at how are we relevant to today's news and, and send it to, you know, your local website and, and say, like, isn't this interesting? Like this person wrote about their experience and it's relevant today. People might find that interesting. And I think that that is, so they have to sort of think a little bit like a journalist looking for a way to contextualize today's news. And I think educational institutions can do that really well. So I know you mentioned you're a Maryland native and you've lived and worked in Washington, D.C. for many years. So we'd love to get your insider scoop on the best current exhibits or the under the radar gems at the local museums. Well, so it's a hard question to answer because, you know, we've been in quasi quarantine COVID world for the past 18 months. And before that, I had a tiny toddler. So it's, it's oh, been a while yes. since I've really been able <laughs> to right? <laughs> really, really get out there. But, um, you know, there are a number of amazing sort of memorials in, in the city. Um, there's a new Eisenhower Memorial right across from the Air and Space Museum. That's pretty cool. That that opened during during the pandemic. Um, and then my favorite is there's right on the on the flip side of the National Archives on the, the north side, there is just a, a marble slab that is a memorial to Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And there's a plaque there that says that he apparently spoke about how if there were to be any memorial to him, he'd only want, uh, the only thing he would want people to do is to, there's a, there's a green patch of grass in front of the archives that he thinks that's where it should be. So they did that at the time, I guess. And then they went ahead and built the whole big FDR memorial uh, decades later. Okay, um, I, I did not realize that. Yeah, so it's, 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 I mean, it's just a neat little thing. If, you're, if you go to the National Archives, it's right there. Um, yeah. And the archives itself is, of course, an amazing spot. But that is, that is one of my favorite hidden gems in D.C. That's great. I can't wait to visit Washington, D.C. again soon and, and check that out. Hopefully we'll be uh, 
we'll be moving in the right direction with things, mm-hmm. <laughs> things opening and getting, getting back. Hopefully. More. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Brian. I really appreciate it. It was my pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. You can find Brian on Twitter at Brian Wally, W-O-L-L-Y. And of course, follow his work at smithsonian.com. That's all for this episode of Media in Minutes, a podcast by Communications Redefined. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to our show. We'd love to hear what you think. You can find more at communicationsredefined.com slash podcast. I'm your host, Angela Toole. Talk to you next time.